When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Joined this week by uh, Peter Brody, who you might have heard on the uh, Twitter spaces that we sometimes throw on the feed and just had on Twitter in general. How are you doing, Peter? I'm doing very well. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to uh, for my debut here on the Pinship Alley podcast. Yeah, I wish it could come under uh, better circumstances, but well, the Yankees did not see fit to that. Oh, man. It's been a, a pretty rough go of it uh, the past. Uh, I mean, we were just saying like past week, several weeks, but the past week in particular has been pretty rough. They had the five game losing streak. They got swept in St. Louis just when it seemed like maybe they'd snap it and play well in Seattle. Then they throw out the last two games, which have just been uh, testing a lot of patience and Yankee dumb, let's say, to be generous. Yeah. And as you say, testing patience is probably putting it lightly. We've really seen some of the worst of 2021 rear its ugly head these last two days. Absolutely. It's just grueling to watch this team go, you know, 13 innings without scoring a run. And especially in extra innings, when they played the one nothing game, they had so many opportunities, obviously with the, the Manfred man, zombie runner, whatever you want to call it, but they kept running into outs on the bases. And this is something that they really just weren't doing in like the first half of the season that suddenly has become an epidemic all over again. Yeah, it's, it really has. And it wasn't only running into outs on the base. It was the manner in which they happened. It was stuff that you really kind of shook your head and wondered how a major league player could make some of the plays they did. Like first, I think it was Ben Benintendi leaving second early when the pitchers like steal, trying to steal third when the pitcher still had the ball, which I don't really, I mean, I don't think that's very advisable. No, um, I think uh, maybe he like was trying to read something off him. That's what they was, they were talking about possibly, but uh, obviously the Mariners got the jump on that. So. Yeah. And then there was the Miguel Andujar one where, he, he even he even did what you're taught to do. He froze on the line drive and then broke for third. <laughs> the wrong after way. the dude caught it. Yeah, baffling, absolutely baffling. And then and then uh, what was it? IKF mm-hmm. just put just putting his head down, just deciding that he was going to run to second regardless of what happened. And like you said, these were these were errors that they mental errors that they weren't making earlier in the season any game they found a way to win they found a way to win a game in any manner and now it really feels like they're finding a way to lose a game in any manner 
yeah, that's a good way to put it, especially because like, I feel like over the last week in particular too, it's not like it's been all one thing. It's been sometimes the pitching gets destroyed, but then when the pitching does well, they can still lose one, nothing, or in this case, four to three, which is still pretty low scoring game, all things considered. So it's just been very frustrating that they've been kind of going out of their way to play poorly to the moment. Yeah. And that's, yeah, exactly. That's exactly what it is. It, it seems like they're playing down to the level of competition, whereas before they were rising to the task. And as you said, and you know, we've mentioned it, they're finding different ways to lose before it was the starting pitching was really on when they had that stretch, when they were giving every starter, it seemed like was giving you seven innings. And then there was kind of that stretch where the offense really carried things. We saw double digit scoring game after double digit scoring game. And then there was a stretch where the bullpen really took over. And now it feels like one day you have Cole giving up six runs in the first inning. One day you have Clay Holmes blowing saves in back-to-back opportunities. And then I think, what is it? They've scored three or fewer runs in their last, in six of the last seven games. I mean, that's abysmal. Yeah. And like they'll blow up. They got the nine runs in back-to-back ball games on the seventh and the eighth. And fortunately they won one of them, but then one of them was also the 12 to nine loss in St. Louis to cap the sweep. So oof. yeah. And we, we've been seeing way too much of Albert Abreu, too, for oh, uh, our liking. And I've uh, harped on this on Twitter already, but it's just really annoying that the team decided that Albert Abreu is suddenly someone that they couldn't possibly risk parting with when they did this just before the season. And obviously, that was a trade to bring in a backup catcher in Jose Trevino that worked out better than anyone could have ever dreamed. Yes, we, we understand that. But if he was expendable then... Why is he not expendable now when you've got Ron Marinaccio, who has been basically shoving since after his first few appearances in April, any opportunity he's gotten, he's pitched really well for them. And now he's just in Scranton because of the numbers game. Oh, I couldn't agree more. I mean, the the Albert Abreu situation is absolutely baffling because like you said, there's really nothing tangible that's changed between the version of, of Abreu that they traded for Trevino in the beginning of the season and the version that they picked up off waivers from Kansas City, and yet all of a sudden he's, like, untouchable on the Major League roster. I mean, like you said, Marnaccio has been lights out since they called him up. He had that that stretch where of, I think, 20-plus innings where he didn't give up a run. Yeah. I mean, he, his command has, has only gotten better with each outing, and he's talked about that. He's talked about how each outing gives him the confidence to throw his pitches in the zone. Um, and you can see he's really starting to like learn and pick up how to sequence his pitches better. And I mean, you have to say he was maybe a top four, top three or top four reliever for the Yankees so far this season. And it's like Brian Cashman decided to get too cute mm-hmm. and think, you know, oh, you know, we can stash Marinaccio in the minors and Albert Abreu will pitch like not Albert Abreu all of a sudden. And it actually reminds me of um, when they traded away Montgomery and that felt like they were just trying to get too cute where, you know, I think we kind of speculated in the, on the pinstripe alley slack that it felt like they thought they had a deal for Pablo Lopez and then, you know, traded Montgomery for Bader. And it's like, no, you better have the handshake and writing in place for Lopez before you get rid of a pitcher who's going to provide you at a minimum, really important depth down the stretch. Yeah. It's either that, or they felt so comfortable with their playoff standing. And we should still say that even now there are 10 games up with the uh, Blue Jays and Orioles, maybe still going to play today. It's that's right. rained in Baltimore area. So maybe not. So they're certainly still in a position where it's probably not going to cost them the division. I would be even how shitty they're playing. They're still probably going to win the division, but it's costing them playoff standing 
home field advantage, which obviously is like not the be all end all, but it's just like unforced errors almost. And again, like it's playing such a risky game with the rotation with Severino still on the shelf. Ideally you get him back in September and he's fine. But if he's not, then suddenly you're relying on Jameson Tyone. I know he had a decent bounce back start the other day, but even that had some kind of questionable decisions in there. Mm. And then making weird decisions to keep Domingo Herman and keep your Albert Abreu's on the roster when you really don't have to. Yeah, I agree with that. And, you know, a lot of people have been phrasing it as, well, they traded, they essentially traded Montas for Montgomery, so that's an upgrade. But that's not really how the, the way I see it. I, I always saw Montas's acquisition as like an ins- insurance for Luis Severino, who lo and behold, they placed on the 60-day IL, like right around the time they traded for Montas. And then basically the trade is that you're trading Montgomery for Herman. And like no one in their right mind would make that trade. Like, yes, Herman has gotten a result in his last start, but there, like you said, there's not a lot to like. And it feels like he's you're waiting for the shooter drop and for him to just give like have a crooked inning because he throws his crappy fastball down the middle way too often. Yeah. And when you're playing poorly, like the back ends of your roster are definitely start to show the fraying. You know, we wouldn't really be seeing Abreu this much if the bullpen hadn't been so overworked by the offense doing almost nothing the other day. So it's like compounding on top of each other, making things worse. Obviously, Clay Holmes slump has not helped things. It's good to see Chapman pitching a little bit better. But with so many of these factors working against each other, it's like a perfect storm of like a disastrous stretch right now. But it's... Mm -hmm distressing because the middling play at the very least goes back to like middle of June at this point. Yeah. Like I I think you can kind of trace it back to that, that series against the Astros, the four Mm -hmm. games in the stadium. I I don't, I don't want to project too much of my like internal feelings, but it felt like they were really cruising up to up until that point. And that was like the real first real test. And it, it felt like they got a little rattled after that series. Like, Oh, we're going to, we're still going to have to earn this. And that kind of took them off of cruise control. And it felt like it's almost felt like they've been searching for that that feeling, that same high ever since. Yeah. And most of their series wins since then have come against like the A's, like the Guardians are a contender for sure, but they're whatever. The Red Sox, they've played up and down. The, that Red Sox team has been tanking otherwise basically since then. <laughs> they beat the Orioles. Great. They beat the, I guess, the wild card contending Orioles. Surprise, but whatever. Um, the Royals, they beat three out of four, but good. Yeah, you're supposed to do that to the Royals. But like the Mariners, the Cardinals, the Mets, the Astros, these teams have all crushed them, really. Yeah, have been head and shoulders better in the series that they've beat them in. Yeah, um, and it's not like definitive of like, this is what would happen if the playoffs started tomorrow, because you right. never know. But like the playing down to the competition thing, as you talked about, like, yeah. as you said earlier in the season, they were meeting the challenge, but now they're just like, eh. Yeah. And if I could just like add a final note on Abreu, and I understand like the previous night completely gassed the bullpen, so they really didn't have sure. any options. But Katie Sharp, who I, I love the, the stats that she posts on Twitter, I believe including the run that he allowed yet today, he's allowed six of nine inherited runners to score this season, which is two thirds, so 67%. The MLB average rate is 32%. So he's allowing more than double the inherited runners to score. So I really, really really hate bringing him in in anything other than a clean inning. I said this even during his first stint because he gives up a couple hits, but then kind of finds just enough to get out of the inning so that it's not a complete blow up. But the problem is when you're putting him in with like one or two runners on, it's too late by the time that he's found whatever it is he needs to find and or, and someone scored or two people have scored. And then it's like, well, he didn't, he didn't do the job that you put him in there to do. 
No, it's setting him up to fail. And it's not like we have really super high hopes for Albert Abreu. Like he could be okay sometimes, but that's just not, it'd be like when like they would occasionally do this with Miguel Castro too, before he got hurt. Like Mm. he's not a guy who you can start with uh, some runners on base. Yeah, And it's also mysterious that they also haven't used Lucas Lickie at all in the past week. He's at this point, he's very much middle to low guy in the depth chart, but it's weird to see him not pitch at all, even in like, you know, maybe he could have pitched during the bit of a blowout game on Monday against the Mariners, Mm -hmm. but he did not. And, you know, bullpen got taxed. So. Yeah, I, I think you bring up a really good point with Licky because I, I still trust him more than I trust Albert Abreu. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and so it is it is interesting to see how far out, outside of the circle of trust he's fallen. And I don't even think he's, I mean, he's not performed at the same level that he did last year, but no. I don't think, he, it's not like he's become unplayable, you know? Certainly not. Not not any more than Abreu, but like, I yeah. guess like they have some unearned confidence in Abreu for whatever <laughs> yeah. reason. Yeah, And I guess we also need to talk about they don't have Mark Carpenter anymore. He broke his foot. So even the win was colored by a very unfortunate thing that happened. It was just shit luck. Fouled the ball, broke his foot. He's gone. He might come back in six to eight weeks. But for now, Mm. it's just leaving a glaring hole in the lineup because other than Judge and DJ a little bit, Trevino, Donaldson picked it up a little bit. But there's a lot of holes in this lineup right now. Uh, there certainly are. And you have to say that Carpenter's probably your third most reliable bat. I mean, Wild. maybe fourth most <laughs> now that now that Rizzo's back. But yeah, he, you know, with with Stanton still out, it's like, who do I really trust to draw a walk even or, you know, provide that that extra base hit when, when the Yankees need it most? And it really has been Matt Carpenter. And it's been such an inspirational story. You know, I'm sure a lot of Yankees fans are well acquainted at this point with with his his journey to this point. You know, all of the work that he did during the offseason, working with uh, Matt Holliday and Joey Votto to to find his swing plane back. And, you know, just hearing the way that his Yankees teammates talk about him, you can tell he's instantly become one of the most popular members in that clubhouse. He's someone that's so easy to root for. I think he he brought a spark to the team that really I thought was going to like push them over the edge and, and make this a, a historic season a la 1998. And yeah, I just think he's such a huge loss. I mean, you you probably still have his presence in the clubhouse, but I, you know, we know that that's that pales in comparison to what he can offer when he's on the field and in the clubhouse. That's such like uh, an important thing to talk about with this team because like they're they're not automatons. They can feel very disappointed by this, and I'm sure it's very crushing to see. Carpenter go down like that and Miguel Andujar have to step in there and we are not Andujar fans I don't think that's really a shocker at this point but he's not a guy who's going to replace Carpenter's bat in the lineup in any meaningful way and we've seen really in in the past several games in particular teams are not going to pitch to Aaron Judge if they don't have to because they would rather challenge someone else to beat them and you totally get it yeah no I'm glad you brought that up because I think we've seen Judge has been intentionally walked in like two of the last three games. He walked twice today when they clearly weren't pitching to him. And yeah, I mean, when when you have a slumping Glaber Torres batting cleanup or batting fifth, and you have behind him is like Miguel Andujar and Isaiah Kiner-Falefa, uh, yeah, of course I'm going to pitch to the, those guys and, and, and walk Judge. You know, it's like the drop-off in production and in the, the kind of fear factor after maybe the third, second or third spot in the lineup is so stark. And Boone likes to talk about when the team is really clicking, how there are no soft spots in the lineup. 
And now you have to say there's probably only one or two spots in the lineup, three at most, that aren't soft spots. Yeah, it's causing problems that there's like, again, if you want to talk in Boone speak, there are so many lanes that these pitchers can just cruise through. And the Yankees mm-hmm. fortunately got uh, some production today out of a guy who would normally can be considered a soft spot in Kyle Higashioka. He had a, he had a big home run, but that's not going to happen all the time. You know, it's been good to see Andrew Benintendi start to get some doubles and mm-hmm. get some hits on the board, but it's they're, they're leaving a lot to be desired right now. Yeah, and um, Higashioka, it's it's so annoying that he continues to justify his existence with his monthly home run. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and I think uh, some people have brought up an interesting point in the main slack about how Cole has been demonstrably worse, actually, this year, pitching to Higashioka. Now, I'm a little bit hesitant to really assign a terrible amount of significance to like catcher ERA and stuff like that. But I think that there really is something to purely by the eye test. I think a lot of the Yankees starters pitch a lot better when throwing to Trevino. I think, I do think he calls a better game than Gashioka. He's obvious. He's certainly a better, I mean, there by some metrics, he's the best framer in baseball. And I think that in and of itself can convey an extra little bit of confidence to pitchers to try and be pinpoint with their pitches on the edges and know that, Hey, Trevino is going to frame it in a way that is going to give them the best chance to have a strike called. Whereas maybe, maybe there's not quite that bit of confidence throwing to Higashioka where it's like, no, I need to make sure this pitch is in the zone. I think that's how home runs, you know, you miss your spot by a little bit. And then that's when it ends up in the seats. Yeah. And with Cole, the home runs have been his problem this year. So sorry, dude, but you cannot pitch a Kagashioka for the rest of the season. If you're pitching this much better with Trevino, who has such a better command of the game plan, it seems like. Yeah. And then I think that also re- reared its ugly head today, the pitch calling with Abreu of the home run that, uh, who was it that hit the home run today? The two run home run. Santana. Santana. Yeah. It, it's a two strike count and he calls for a changeup, which is like clearly Abreu's third best pitch one that he has displayed zero ability to command to the corners of the zone. And lo and behold, he just hooks it right down Broadway. And at that point, it's just a batting practice fastball. Yeah. And Santana can still crush that even at this point in his career. So yeah, yeah. yeah. just confusing choices up and down the Yankees organization right now. Mm -hmm. And I guess we should also briefly touch on like Frankie Montas got lit up in his first start as a Yankee, but I mean, it's, it's, it's weird to assess because Yes, he looked bad, missed spots, whatever. But he was also pitching his first game since July 26th, I think. He had been yeah. on the bereavement list because his mother-in-law had passed away. So he's going through a lot of stuff, making his debut with a new team. It, it sucks, but that's one of those things where you give him a pass this time. Hopefully, he figures it out next time out. But he's also got to do it in Fenway. So Yeah, exactly. No, I I was going to say, this. I think I'm, I'll give him a pass on this one because there were just a lot of complicating factors at play. Like you said, he was just coming off the bereavement list. Boone was already planning to have him on a 70 pitch count because he was only shortly back from the shoulder injury that kept That's him true, up. Also, yeah. um, and also he, he had what a day, maybe two days to establish any sort of rapport with, with Trevino who ended up catching him. It's like, yeah, I think he got in like Saturday night or something like that. That's right. Yeah. So he had like less than 24 hours even. So yeah, I, I'll give him a pass on that because I think, it would have been really hard for him to succeed. But as you say, the real test will come at Fenway against the Red Sox. And, you know, <laughs> uh, that's it's Fenway is one of those places that even with like the Red Sox playing like crap for most of the past couple of months, they, that can test you regardless. Oh, certainly. 
It's certainly. Um, and all it takes is a few rockets off the monster to, to sh- you know, in the first couple of innings to shape your resolve. And then, you know, who knows what happens after that? Yeah. And we're, we're definitely looking forward to Domingo Herman trying to deal with that on Friday night, oh, right? No, that's right. <laughs> what could go wrong? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, will, I mean, I guess we should say that like Domingo Herman has weirdly put up a couple good outings for him anyway. So, I mean, I can't rag on him too much this time around, but it still doesn't really give you a lot of confidence. Yeah. Yeah. No, I do think, yeah, credit where credit's due. He's, he gave up two runs in five innings against the Mariners on the first of August. Then he gave up, he was even better against St. Louis. He got one run on four hits in five innings. So, I mean, you know, it's, you can't complain with that, but at the same time, it's like, like I was saying before, you're, you're almost just waiting for the worst to happen with him because he really is yeah. just one poorly located pitch away from like a three run bomb because he's walked two batters. And then, yeah, it's oh, just a, a tough hang right now with the Yankees. And I guess we should use that to build on like something that you want to talk about. When is the time to be concerned? Mm. Yeah. So this is something that I've, I've kind of wrestled with over the last couple of weeks is you know, what is that inflection point in the season, given the way that they've been going over the last, since basically the start of July, even before that, where we can no longer fall back on the crazy hot stretch that they had to start the season, the historic hot stretch that they had to start the season, and really start being concerned about this prolonged period of, of you know, regressed play from them and making making the mistakes that they made last year that were notably absent during the, the really um, pretty much flawless stretch to begin the season. Um, I would argue that we've even reached that point already. You know, I think given the trends that we've seen with the offense, not scoring runs when they need to be scoring runs or the bullpen just blowing up at the most inopportune times or the starting pitching getting torched in the first couple of innings, I mean, I think these are very real trends that, you know, have to start raising some eyebrows and we need to start viewing the season through the lens of, okay, what team are we? Yes, they're still a really good team, one of the best teams in baseball. But what is the true identity of this team right now? I would argue it's not the identity of the team that was red hot through uh, April and May and June. I'd argue that it's more what we've seen over the last, say, 40, 45 games. Yeah, they're really not playing crisp baseball. If it's not the pitching, it's the hitting. Not hitting is the base running. Just a lot of very simple like baseball mistakes that have been made over the past couple months of play that has now just gone beyond like, oh, we had a bad week. Well, now we're at like several bad weeks in a row at this point. Mm-hmm. And again, like I don't think that they're going to lose the division. Obviously, we could have another discussion if the Blue Jays or maybe even the Rays end up chipping away at it to get it like within five games or something like that, which, you know, if they keep playing like this, maybe they will. But mm-hmm. I, that's not even the question at this point. It's just, is, are they really setting themselves up to play well in October? Because that's like the name of the game, what they're always having their eye on. And that's definitely what like Cashman had his eye on with his moves at the deadline, to, you know, subtract from the rotation to bring in an injured outfielder who could maybe help them in September and October to maybe make these other moves on the periphery to try to help the bullpen a little bit more or something here or there. And maybe they're taking a little bit more time with like Giancarlo Stanton's rehab because they were able to afford themselves that luxury with the division lead. But they, at some point they have to be able to click and turn it on and not everyone can do that at the drop of the hat. Yeah, absolutely. And the longer that this goes on, you know, bad habits are really hard to break and they are setting some really bad habits with this stretch of games. And like you said, it's, it's, 
fundamental baseball things that are going wrong. It's having uncompetitive at bats when you need to be really locked in the most. I mean, we've seen it from the person that my mind first turns to is actually Glaber Torres. I mean, he, yeah. has, he has looked pretty lost at the plate and he's come up in some really big situations and it looks like he's just trying to force something to happen. He's flailing at pitches out of the zone. He's in it's, you know, you know, it's like one, two, you know, one, two, three swings. And then he's walking back to the dugout. It, there doesn't seem to be any sort of defined plan at the plate. It's just let me take a rip at every single pitch and hope that I hit one over the seats. Whereas he had, it's, it's really shocking because he had such a disciplined approach for so long this season. It was back to the Glaber, not of 2019, but the Glaber of 2018, where he was using all fields. He was a gap to gap hitter. He was, he wasn't necessarily swinging for the fences. He was, you know, a doubles hitter with, with, uh, he, he, at times he became a little too passive over the last two seasons and he got some of that good aggressiveness back where he's putting good his a plus swing on balls that he can drive but now it seems like he's just just hyper aggressive and swinging at everything even if the ball was never in the zone at any point during its path to the plate yeah a lot of these at bats have just been not very competitive and again like signs of pressing and it wouldn't surprise me if uh, it's in Glaber's mind that like okay with these guys out maybe I have to do something a little bit more but by pressing that's not going to lead to anywhere that's just going to lead to more problems that we saw from him when he was at his worst in uh, 2020 and 2021 and that's just been a, a big problem in a lot of his at bats and big situations lately like I think for all the bad base running that happened in the game on Tuesday night is that bat with the bases loaded in the 13th inning was a truly miserable experience it, it actually was and for as many bad at bats as there were that game it was the worst at bat of the game yeah and um, that's saying a lot with when you are when you have competition like as i kind of falefa who like strike one fake the butt then like popped up or something like that <laughs> yeah i know yeah and just think you bring up a really good point about maybe glaber does feel a little bit added pressure to produce with some of the big guys out um we've seen him bat cleanup a lot during this the last few weeks i mean now that Rizzo and Donaldson, I think, are pretty much your three and four hitters. Glaber's moved back a little bit. But I think a really interesting stat during Glaber's career, batting first through fourth, he's about 20% worse than league average hitting. And then batting fifth through ninth, he's about 20% better than league average hitting. So Mm. I think there is a little bit something to maybe the pressure that he puts on himself based on where he is in the lineup of if he's put into those traditional production slots, it's like, okay, I need to be a slugger. Whereas when he's maybe lower down in the batting order, it's, I can just, I can just play my game. Which is funny because it's like a different aspect of pressure versus like, he's always hit well in the playoffs, (laughs) which is kind of funny uh, Mm -hmm. considering like that. But I guess it's like almost like a different sort of pressure where yes, obviously it's like high stakes situation, but he knows that he has all these other hitters around him too in the postseason. So maybe yeah. he could be like, okay, well, I could just do whatever I can here. But lately it's just been rough. Yeah, it has been rough. And, and um, I feel like we do need to talk about Isaiah kiner Falefa yeah, too before we, before we uh, end our show today, just because he his struggles have just been even more in the spotlight in the past several days. And maybe it's partially because like 
you know, with the offense slumping like this, yeah, that's going to be exposed more. And especially with the trade deadline passing, okay, if you weren't going to use Oswald Peraza as a trade ship, then maybe you'll give him a shot now because we're past that. But now we're, they still seem extremely comfortable sending Isaiah Kinderfuliff out there. They seem extremely comfortable that their own defensive metrics say that he's good out there, which I just, I just don't really see. And they think that that's good enough to have a very, very much of a noodle bat at the bottom of the lineup. Yeah. I, yeah. And I really want to push, I, I really dispute their internal defensive metrics because I mean, like, you know, who am I to dispute what an MLB team has, but like he's demonstrably one of the worst defensive shortstops in the league this year. Yeah. I mean, he's in the bottom quartile in terms of outs above average. And I know defensive run saves have has him uh, in the positive, but there's, there's a lot of issues with defensive run saves that doesn't really take into account the starting position of the fielder um, and the speed of the runner. But no, when like even and, Mike Petriello at MLB.com is saying on Twitter, like, yeah, I, I just don't really see either. Like we're right. going beyond just like, you know, random Yankees fans saying like, it's, this is not like a Rob, promote Rob Ref Snyder kind of thing. It's like, this is just a lot of people independently are saying like, we're not really sure what's going on here. And I know that like, I've seen reports of like Sweeney Murdy talk with uh, people with other teams and they say that they didn't think that shortstop was a high, high priority thing, but even still, like, I just don't see it. Yeah, no. And and the thing is, well, I don't know if the team ever explicitly confirmed this, but it felt like he was billed as a defense first stopgap. And well, that's just a blatant lie. Um, well, if they're on and, defense, if they're on, if they're on metrics, they're good true. at defense, then that's why they say it. Yeah. But um, the thing is, it, it it's all the more stark because of all of the options that they passed up on. And I, I, I forget who wrote it on Twitter, but like between, between not say, signing one of the free agent shortstops, in the winter and hanging on to Praza and, and especially Volpe um, instead of trading him for Luis Castillo, who by the way, has absolutely torched the Yankees the last three times that he's faced them and has gotten the victory in all three of them going seven plus innings in each of them um, and giving up three or fewer runs. Volpe better be like, better be the next A-Rod basically. <laughs> like, like it's an enormous amount of pressure that they're putting on him. And I'm not foolish enough to think that he doesn't, you know, he doesn't internalize some of some of what's going on around him. I don't think he's blind to what's going on around him. I think he he knows that the Yankees expect a lot out of him. And given the people that they've passed up on him because of their belief in him, I don't know. Like, I think that's setting him up for failure, in my it, opinion. It's definitely going to be like a big challenge for him whenever he does get to the majors probably in 2023, I'd assume, but you never know. Mm-hmm. But it's it's one of those weird things where I feel like a lot of people in like this statistical in the statistical community acknowledge that like, hey, if he has a career where he's hitting like Didi Gregorius in his prime for the Yankees for several years, then that's probably a success. But the average Yankees fan's not going to see it like that because of how much they've now talked him up. It's not quite getting into the Dominguez problem, which is its own like balloon thing, and he's further away. But the average fan knows exactly what the Yankees think of him and who they've turned down to keep him, you know? So it's going to be a lot of pressure on him and you, and it does really feel like he's going to be the guy because I feel like if they really had enough confidence in Oswald Peraza, he'd be up now. So, yeah, I agree. I agree with that. I also like part of me questions if there's any sort of like service time manipulation going on there, but I don't actually think so. I think that I really think that they're just going to stick it out with IKF regardless of what happens. And then, you know, maybe, maybe next year Praza gets the call up to, to give Volpe time until he's ready. And yeah, I mean, that just, like, I understand that, that you need to have 
young players on the minimum so that, you know, to balance out the, the, the payroll year to year, because we know how much they love re, uh, the flexibility to reset the tax, the tax rate every three years. But I mean, man alive, do those guys have to have to pan out? Yeah. And then, then there's the question of like, are you doing everything you can to help this team that had such an incredible start and looked like it was in the middle of such a special season? Do you have what it takes to get them to the finish line, or at least to make it back to the world series for the first time since 2009. And obviously you have your own questions getting past the Astros, whoever else in that, in the, in those debates and weird things can happen in the postseason. but you wonder about if they're really being set up to succeed or not. And that's just, it's just an unfortunate question that I don't know how much we're going to get an answer to because we know that the Yankees have a lot of confidence like up, up at the top in Brian Cashman. And yes, Brick Cashman has made a whole bunch of grid fines in the past few years, especially, but you know, just these other questions of roster construction, just very strange. Yeah. And, and the thing that the, the phrase that I always come back to is, is calf measures. And I, maybe that's a little bit harsh because like you say, Brian Cashman for the most part has, has made some pretty brilliant fines and has, and has targeted guys that he knows that, his analytics department in concert with the hitting or pitching coaches can unlock higher level outcomes out of, you know, we've seen that with Clay Holmes. Yes. He's scuffled a little bit, but on the whole, he's been, you know, a brilliant find. Um, And I do have to give due credit, you know, to Cashman. And of course he went out and traded for the second best pitcher on the, on the market in Frankie Montas, but always returns to that question. Is he doing everything in his power to give this team the best possible chances to make the world series because the fact of the matter is that anything short of a world series appearance this year is an abject failure. Whereas in other years, I feel like it's been a target, but not the be all end all. But I, I really do think this year there's an understanding even in the organization that falling short of a world series appearance. I mean, that has to be, that has to be viewed as a failure. Yeah, and you got to get it done when Aaron Judge is having a season like this for the ages. I, I'll just jump ahead of it. Aaron Judge is my Yankee of the Week. He's probably your Yankee of the Week, too, or <laughs> anyone else. But just it, he's he's been doing such an incredible job this year. He might set the home run record for the American League. So you really hope that they have what it takes to get him the icing on this season. For sure. Yeah. Anyone you want to shout out for your uh, Manfred of the Week? Uh, uh, I mean, I'll, I have to give it to Anduhar. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's just the, the complete, just being completely overmatched at the plate. And then the, <laughs> yeah, even his hits were just like doinks into the outfield, you know? Yeah. And then the, the obvious base running blunder in, in extra innings was just a head slapping moment. Yeah. And I'd have to give mine to uh, Isaiah kind of fill up there just because his at bats have been so bad lately in particular, like just total non-compete at bats and, just obviously the base running the other day was not great either. So yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's tough watching him. Yeah. It's painful. Yeah. Well, uh, (laughs) on that cheerful note, uh, I think we'll wrap up. The Yankees have a big week ahead of them. They got series against the, the Red Sox, Rays and Blue Jays coming up. So they are going to be tested by their division. The Red Sox always play up against the Yankees. So even though the Red Sox are playing badly right now, I'm sure that'll be a tough series at Fenway. Uh, any other last words about that? They better wake up and find something fast because as you said, they have a tough slate coming up, including two with the Mets after this stretch against the AL East. Yeah, that's for sure. 
All right. Uh, we can follow the site on Twitter at Pinstrip Alley. You can follow me at Merns PSA. You can follow Peter at PBRODS7, PBROD7. I just want to say thank you for having me. It was a blast uh, oh, yeah. to do this the first time. Yeah. No, it was good. It's great to have you. Glad to have you on. And uh, hopefully, Yankees wake up, start playing better in a hurry, and uh, don't make us worry so much in the next podcast. All right. Talk to you later. Yep. Bye.